Welcome to CISO's Insiders Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing leading CISOs and security leaders in the industry for light, eye-level conversations. Here, they share advice and tips, talk about their biggest accomplishments and failures, favorite drinks, key influencers, and much more. We encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, please check us out on social media. Good morning, everybody. Today I'm speaking with Dirk. Dirk is a 25 years veteran in the IT security industry. He specializes in advanced cyber resilience uh, and he's tackling um, cyber security threats. I know you hold two positions at, at uh, Netrix. Uh, one is a, as a VP of uh, security research and is also, what was the other one uh, actually? Um, Field CISO EMEA. Okay, Field CISO EMEA. Thank you for correcting me. And you know what? what while you're at it, maybe step in properly, introduce yourself. Well, you, you mentioned the main part. Um, as you can see from my haircut, uh, in, in my case, it's due to my my um, sort of seasoning in the in the field. You know these sort of memes where you have this young Yoda, old Yoda, and stuff like that about cybersecurity. Sometimes it feels that way. So my name is Dirk Schrader. I'm um, I'm a German, as you can hear from my accent. Um, when talking about my role, it's sort of the the main part is about, as you mentioned it. Um, looking into uh, topics that will play a role in, in cybersecurity, maybe in, in two years from now, maybe in five years from now. So cyber resilience has been a, uh, a thing for me and, and since probably mid of, mid of the 2010s, so 2015 or something like that. Um, nowadays, it's uh, certainly more on the, on the crossroads between resilience and automation uh, on, on the technology, uh, technology side. Um, sometimes I have topical researches uh, into medical devices or, or different things. And as a field CISO, it's all about being the customer's advocate on the one hand side as Netflix is a, is a cybersecurity vendor. Uh, on the other hand side also looking at our own stuff and how we do things and, and, and helping my colleagues to uh, stay ahead of the curve. Okay, and thank you uh, for that introduction. Can you just expand uh, briefly about the Netrix, the company that you work with right now? Well, the, the main topic for Netrix is data security. Um, if you if you think of data security as a as a standalone topic, you're probably misled because, in the essence, what you have is uh, data identities and infrastructure. So the three layers that sort of build up your attack surface. Yeah, you, an attacker will always try to get to your to your data, but uh, for that he uses your infrastructure. He uses your identity um, to get to that, and therefore. What we try as a, as a vendor is to provide solutions and technologies that help to secure your AD as the central focal point of, of identities um, to help harden your infrastructure or to classify your data, just to pick some random topics out of the, the portfolio we have. Mm -hmm. Okay, and uh, thank you again for that as well. Before we, um, you know, go into details and I ask you a bunch of questions and, uh, and and grill you, maybe you could, I always like to start off with, you know, a couple of questions to get to know you better. Maybe you can um, share for our listeners' sake uh, your marital status and favorite drink. Um, I'm married um, since about uh, almost 20 years. No, a little bit more than 20 years, to be honest. Oh, my life will kill me. <laughs> Forgot about it. Um, Proud dad of uh, three kids. Favorite drink, um, day term, coffee. If I have a little bit of relaxed time, lots of coffee. If I have a little bit of relaxed time, it's a good Irish whiskey. We have that. Let's go into the questions. Uh, looking back at your career, what's the you know what's the one thing you wish you'd known before you began it? 
uh, can I name tens or even hundreds of things? No, I mean, as long as you can fit all the questions into <laughs> Well, um, put that into, into a different view. Um, when I started my career decades ago, um, I didn't expect that learning, that everything, there is something new, every day there is something new. So you, 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 this sort of, the ability and the requirement to learn as a daily feature, that is something I, I didn't expect, to be honest. Um, and if I had known that before, if I would have been sort of at my time prepared for that, I would probably have structured myself, structured that learning capability a little bit different. But um, there is there is nothing I would say this this is a particular element or this is a particular capability. I would have probably it would have been better to know it before because um, in our field there is a, one thing is constant and that has changed. So learning that element is something I probably would have said, be better prepared for that than I was actually. It took me a little bit to get over it. And, you know, once you've, uh, since you've mentioned that already, um, what's, what's the best resources for learning? What do you use? The answer is quite simple, I'd say. It's um, the internet. I mean, there's there's tons of things in there. Um, it 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 won't provide you, at least nowadays. You know, you know, don't know what AI is able to do in the in the future, um, with the perfect answer. It will provide you with uh, with hints, with details, with with breadcrumbs you can follow. And that's the learning part. Put it together, make your mind about the things, um, follow the the old um, approach of, of Professor Feynman, that uh, late uh, scholar who is um, quite famous when it's about learning experience. And dive into something, make sure that you can explain it. If you fail in explaining it, um, try again, uh, simplify it, and then you understand the topic, which is, an interesting part for me, um, because I we have plenty of stuff we can refer to at our fingertips, at our keyboards. So yeah, um, the other part, to be honest, is exchange conferences like the one I'm attending right now, to talk to people, to listen to they, their ways of how they solve problems. Um, that's the the two sources I would name at the first. Okay, but. Uh... And what about the structural learning, like certifications and you know trainings and mm -hmm. some? Is this some also something that you find valuable? Um, personally, um, and I know there is a lot of debate about certifications um, around there. Is are they worth it? Are they not worth it? I find them helpful um, because they challenge you. They force you to structure your data, your knowledge. They force you. To, to prove your knowledge to someone external. Um, so yes, um, I find them helpful. Um, I'm always cautious if there is a uh, sort of this mixture of depending on a, on a certification um, where people can prove that have they have the certification, but um, they don't practice the knowledge that's that's the point here mm -hmm. okay yeah thank you for that uh, distinction um uh, moving forward looking back at your career and as you mentioned you know judging by the aircraft of uh, both of us uh, we've mm -hmm. been there for a while uh what would you consider as your biggest failure hmm. I, I would it's there was one thing in in the early 2000s um i was i was starting a business unit um and and was also responsible for its overall operations and i failed miserably really at that task i was like oh gosh how do i do it when do i do it what do i do um lessons learned do not underestimate the amount of preparation of checking of of forward thinking 
that you have to put into operations planning and the actual running of it. You can have uh, the best and brightest idea of creating a business unit. Um, if you don't get it on the street, if you don't get it up and running um, and you don't have that idea of how do I operationalize it, um, you will fail. As simple as it is. Mm -hmm. And it's in, in, in sort of moving forward, lesson, lessons learned. If you have, um, as, as a vendor, if you have a tool set like, like we have in Netflix, talking about AD security, uh, AD recovery or whatever, if you don't have a way of explaining it that how this is how you operationalize this, this is how you get value out of operating it. That's also a potential failure, but uh, we're, we're working on that one. We're quite good at that. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you for that insight as well. Um, what would you consider as your biggest accomplishment? Um, raising my triplets together with my wife, is, is that valid? Yeah. It is. Okay. <laughs> I, I got it. it. It's more on, on the on the professional life, I guess. Um, I would say being in a position where people listen to me, where where people act on on the recommendations the team is giving together with me, um, is is the one thing. You, you can have individual specific accomplishments, finishing a project, finishing um, uh, um, from from a sales perspective, more or less having a. a a big customer win or something like that. Um, as a as a CISO, as a cybersecurity sort of, I hate to to, to use the term expert. Um, as if if you are trying to convey the message that this is needed to be more secure tomorrow than you are today, and people are actually believing in you and that they are listening to you that they are act really acting on you that's an accomplishment because then you have learned to um communicate um with the with the with the people you're interacting with but not only that i think right because uh the fact that people listen to you uh points to the fact that they trust you i mean they don't have to listen to you they don't have to act on your command it's uh cool. I, I think i think that's if, if i you know reading the subtext here i think that that's the biggest accomplishment right to position yourself in such a way that people trust you and adhere with your advice yeah yeah um, i mean the, the 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 point is with any advice with any sort of recommendations do something different is um it is still my recommendation it's still sort of Put it that way my best practice and it doesn't have to fit into your world of doing things um but at least considering it thinking about it that's the part where um coming back to that experience uh, exchange of experience is the the uh the interesting part and the the accomplishment i guess mm -hmm. and you know i'm working with a few um um you know, young people in the industry that really wants to get uh, into the industry, what would be the best advice you would give to someone who's just getting started in this field? Field cybersecurity, uh, field talking or, or taking responsibilities for for securing something. Um, my 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 best advice is put yourself on the other side of the table as much as, as often as possible, even more often as possible, regardless of the hierarchy. If it's the worker on the plant floor, on the shop floor, if it's the accountant, the marketing assistant, the nurse, the radiologist, the CEO, whoever it is, even if you do it as a, as, as a sort of a, um, a scenario, tabletop exercise, why do they do these stuff? What is their view of the world how do they structure their own tasks what is driving them what is sort of forcing them to do things the way they do if you understand um the behind that is if you understand the business processes if you understand the reason why things are done the way they are done you are better positioned to explain why things need to change um because if you come in like like from a security um, ransomware and virus and whatever, 
um, you're talking your own language. If you're talking their language, if you're sort of picking them up, putting them on the road and walk that talk with them, it's better. So understanding, putting yourself on the other side of the table, on the other side of the desk, that's the best recommendation I can give. Mm -hmm. And while we're on the subject, usually I uh, ask this question question later on. But you know, you've you've basically alluded to the fact that um, you need to understand the business, and that CISO is more of a business role these days. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, and I know you mentioned listening as and understanding as you know relevant skills, obviously. And I think understanding is is key. I I do agree with you on that. Anything else as that you can pinpoint uh, as crucial and important skills that CISOs nowadays should have? Communication. So. If if I have put myself in the in the shoes of the others, um, I'm able to communicate in their terms, uh, which is also the the this sort of ability to learn. If I am to to give a simple example, if I'm talking to an, a, a a person in the finance department, and that person is is uh, task is to um, um, book invoices on a daily routine and the 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 uh, the quicker the invoices are processed the better it is for the overall relationship between the company and the suppliers and all this stuff um and if i'm telling that person that oh you know, you you can't use a pdf anymore and whatever it i would break the uh, the 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 workflow for that uh, for that person um being PDF might be infected, so you can't open it from the email, whatever. Um, if I'm looking at it from a perspective of that person saying, okay, my task is, my primary task is, let's do this sort of accounting job, um, process the invoices. How do I help that person in terms of doing exactly that task, but in a secure way? Now, not putting any obstacles in their way, but putting guardrails up that help that person to do the job but in a secure way so communication understanding and the ability to learn these are the the uh, the important skills a, C a CISO should have mm -hmm. okay thank you and um where do you feel a CISO uh, should report uh, like what position in the company do you think the CISO should report under It's a very philosophical question. I mean, um, in 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 the best way of of doing it, it's either the CEO or the COO, so the chief operating officer, as, as I mentioned, operations already, or the, the chief executive officer. It a little bit depends on how risk management is is structured in the organization. Is risk a, a shared responsibility, or is there a specific chief risk officer or something like that? Um, <clears throat> I'm not 100% with the sort of given or known setup that the CISO reports to the CIO, um, because the the um, from now on in the future, the, the role of a CISO um, is developing in a way that the the reporting line is less IT oriented, less information oriented and more business oriented. Mm -hmm. and, and and still in some organizations uh, CISOs are part of the IT, right? Um, yes. And why do you feel that is, and what do you think? Did you think it, it's it's even a fit for some organizations out there? Well, <clears throat> for me, that's the CISO paradoxon, <laughs> to be honest. Um, how do I secure something existing? Um, how do I se secure something new in the best ways, best of ways, while I'm also involved in the the less frictionless way of using what I'm supposed to secure. So this 
sort of paradoxon, either you, you know, the old saying, security is hard. Um, if I'm putting it in, 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 in a different way of looking at it is, um, as a CISO, I'm very knowledgeable about IT, but I'm not necessarily deeply involved in day-to-day -day IT aspects. Um, I'm not involved into um, support desk activities or something like that, because I need to understand how I can secure the, the processes, the operations, the value creating elements inside an organization so that I can secure these and possibly I can secure it in, in, in the best of ways, the critical business processes. So um, if that is my task, then I have a um, sort of a paradox on that, that drives me apart because on the one hand side, I'm uh, talking about cyber risk management. On the other hand side, I'm talking about operational effectiveness. How can I still make sure that that core business process is running frictionless? Um, and we're, we're back to this sort of guardrails of, of being put up by a um, in, in, in by your security architecture, which is the responsibility from my point of view of a CISO to say, okay, these are the business processes. This is the security architecture. I build along the business processes so that whenever something is influencing these business processes, I can detect, I can respond, I can recover. Mm -hmm. So yes, part of the IT, but also part of the operations and part of the, the business development, it's a cross-function. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you that it's a much larger role and uh, it's across the board. And uh, personally, I don't think it should be under IT. It's just that, you know, it's 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 a topic out there and this is why we tackle it. Um, you know, moving on, we have still a lot of grounds to cover. Uh, briefly, can you just, uh, you know, share your, uh, what's the one common myth about this profession that you wanted to debunk? Um. I really enjoyed reading um, Cybersecurity Myth and Misconceptions by uh, Eugene Spafford. It's a brilliant book. I mean, lots of laughter for me in it. Um, so if I may pick one or two out of my own experience and, and, and sort of um, mimicked or mirrored in the book as well. So um, you need to patch all findings from that vulnerability management report. That's a common myth. Yeah? Number one, you never achieve that because that vulnerability management report you get today is probably uh, different from the one you have to, uh, tomorrow. So that misconception of security being onto this 100% and you need to, to fix all the holes in that vulnerability management report, which quite often comes down from, this, from the senior management, from the executive board as is one of these myths of, of, of mis or misconceptions because it won't make you safer if you patch all the findings. It just will tear you down, as simple as it is. You, you will be worn out if, you, if you're following all these vulnerabilities. Don't do it. Have a good prioritization process in that. The second one is, and that's coming from a, from a totally different perspective, your AV didn't find any viruses, so you're safe. No, <laughs> you're not, unfortunately. Um, an AV or an EDR or whatever you have in place is not perfect. Um, you have a good base to say, okay, I'm potentially safe, but there is nothing 100% in that. And that's sort of we have probably the, the, the two sort of ends to talk about. Uh, myth in in uh, in cybersecurity. Okay, interesting. And uh, what would you think are the main concerns that CISOs nowadays are concerned with, are are dealing with on a daily basis? Automation, automation, uh, speci uh, specifically on the on the side of the adversaries. Um, we haven't seen much of it yet. Um, 
actually listened to um, um, one keynote today about it. Um, and I don't think that while we spend a lot of time in looking for ways to automate our own stuff, to, to introduce machine learning, to introduce artificial intelligence <clears throat> into our tools, into our architecture, to um, have SOAR in place or whatever, we should consider what the adversaries will be able to do with automation. If this you know, ransomware campaigns, all the stuff, if they really do a good level of automation with that, <clears throat> the whole process of uh, acting and reacting will become a high-paced battlefield. Nowadays, if we have this sort of, and the, the latest Cisco stuff is maybe a good example for that, that and people found out that there are Cisco devices, the uh, iOS XE vulnerability that was recently um, became publicly aware of. Um, there was a, a an indi uh, initial indicator of compromise. And then after two days, three days of having that knowledge that this is the way of how you can identify that your idea, device was um, compromised, they changed that. Uh, the uh, attackers changed that uh, in, 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 um, in their attack um, structure. But if that is not a manual process anymore, if you have a full automated action reaction between defenders and attackers, will we are going into a different world. And with that in mind, the most promising way for me to, to anticipate or to be prepared for this is to have a good handle on the, on the security of your, of your um, directory service or your AD, your identities. Privilege will always be something uh, that is crucial for the attacker. That's, let's call it the critical path for an attack. Yeah. having enough privilege to create havoc is always there. And if we do this, if we have a good handle on that one, we can be prepared for this high-paced battlefield of automation on both sides, I guess. And since you've touched on that, so in your mind, this is a somewhat change in the industry. Where do you think uh, the CISO role is going and how does it tie into automation then? We're coming back to operations. We're coming back to how do I put, how do I put things together? How do I architecture my tool chain that um, with every piece of information I'll gather from the tools I have, I create the correct sort of follow-up action um, which is the, 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 the part of automation. Now they would have a sort of um, an, a, a DC sync uh, going on here. Is that a proper DC sync? Is that a, a valid DC sync? Who's the um, uh, account behind it? Is it a service account? Is it a privileged account, a regular account? Uh, is the context right? How do I react to that on an automated way? And, <coughs> sorry. <coughs> That part is, is um, really vital to be up to par that your, the way you automate stuff, the way you structure these sort of steps in your automation, that will be a, a future task for CISOs because with the automation in place, there is also that risk, that danger that the way you automate it and the sort of the um, distinctive or discretionary, better word, discretionary decision you take from that automation, you put into that automation, can break the process, can break the, break the business process, can bring operations to a halt, operations in the sense of can bring to a halt the, the, the factory. Uh, a perfect example for that one is uh, what was happening in, in Southeast Asia with one of these companies where the uh, a full range of factories were simply brought to a halt because the, the, uh, the uh, hardest were full. 
There were above ability to run backups and stuff like that. So with that, they they were in, in, in the need to shut down the full factories, which is ridiculously um, in, in, in that sense. But if you put that into the context of automating your decision process, i.e. how do I react to information? How do I create overused term, how do I create intelligence out of that information so that I can act on that intelligence? That's the part where automation and the, these things together will be crucial for CISO to understand and to be really good in. Sounds to me like, um, you know, if I'm trying to interpret what I'm hearing, it's like you consider this a multi-front uh, ongoing war and you feel that the CISO is like you, you you go you allude back to operational but it sounds to me like you know you're looking at the CISO like a military serve um, military leader that basically needs to uh look at all fronts and put controls in place as well as uh infrastructure to be able to deal and uh, tri triage and just uh, react and respond uh you know briefly uh, fast and as as well as uh, in a structural manner. Am, am I reading this correctly or not? Well, there are certain similarities. Um, I'm I'm in all fairness, I'm not a, a big fan of the term cyber war in that sense because um, in, in all fairness and in all honesty, uh, politicians around the world have uh, too often use the term cyber war to deflect from own mistakes. Um, and yeah, physical reactions to cyber attacks is also a different topic. So um, I'm, I'm, the way I'm looking at it is um, more like a... Um, What's the term for that? A, um, the, the person standing in front of the orchestra, the orchestra. Um, mm -hmm. So that person is is listening to the tunes, is listening to um, how the interaction is there, is listening and, and, and trying to optimize, i.e. make it sound better um, so that the the overall impression for the audience is perfect. Mimic that if I'm in my CISA role, trying to orchestrate automation business processes, evolving of the business itself, so that the, the next level achieved is better secured, more efficient, um, better positioned is, and from a, from a resilience point of view, then I've done my job. Yeah. And, you know, it seems like you're very thoughtful about this industry and very philosophical in nature. Where do you get your inspiration from? Like, do you follow, and I know you mentioned a couple of names already, but who do you follow in the industry? Do you listen to other CISOs? Do you just talk to colleagues? Do you read articles? What exactly do you do? All of that. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't, couldn't name a specific person where I say, okay, this is the one I am, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to and I'll, I'll take the, the advice because um, I mentioned before the, the exchange of experience is the important part but keep always in mind so if, if I am listening to some person I need to apply what I've heard to my situation so I have to put my own thoughts in it and, and saying okay what is in there for my organization for my tool chain for my automation because that experience is helpful in terms of, okay, we solved that problem, which is kind of similar to your problem this way, but I still need to think about it. Um, and therefore, I can't name a person, mm -hmm. but I, I can tell that being open about your experience, even if it's a bad experience. And I, I do love the these examples of, uh, the, sh the shipping giant uh, Maersk, that logistic guy uh, uh, company that was um, suffering in 2017, where they found their uh, switched off AD backup in Nigeria, shipped it to Denmark to get back into operations, or the way the um, 
the Norwegian um, aluminium factory has um, spoken about their own experience with the ransomware attack they were facing. The better we are in understanding the pitfalls, the mistakes we've made, uh, we have made and we are continue to make, uh, the better we are in terms of learning from each others by applying that learning experience, that knowledge to our own situation, uh, the better we will be. So if, if you want me to pick examples, lesson where do I listen to mostly is these sort of descriptions of, hey, this is where we failed and this is how we came out of it. Interesting. And, um, you know, moving on, um, um, we have in our first introductory call, I know you mentioned, uh, you know, a few topics around cyber resiliency, as well as the, you know, the, the most common attack surfaces uh, out there. In your mm -hmm. opinion, what's the biggest attack surface of an organization? Um, the users. Users are the 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 biggest attack surfaces. If um, there is a good graph from from uh, the search of New Zealand about malware attacks or any sort of attacks, and if you if you look at that, you always see that it's either users or uh, ledger credentials or fish credentials or privilege escalation. Um, users are the biggest attack surface, and there is a before I, I'm, I'm misunderstood here, um, I'm not saying that users are the weakest link. They can be, but they also can't be your strongest defender. It depends on how you treat them. Now, coming back to that, put yourself on the other side of the table. Mm -hmm. If I am enabling them, they can be my biggest ally. If I'm sort of treating them as that weakest link um, element in my chain, they will act like my weakest element in the chain. It really depends on that one. In the enterprise sector, if you have thousands of identities and a constant turnaround of joiners, movers, leavers, um, you can have strategies like zero trust, which is more as a, a, a strategy and, and, a, and a concept for me than a tool or something for an effective approach to ensuring security of, of your identities, of your users. Um, but on the other hand, if, if I'm treating my users as um, always fallible, that they will always make mistakes and stuff like that, I'm not encouraging them to do better. If, if I am encouraging them, if I'm listening to them, if I'm um, not making jokes about them, then I do better in, in terms of this biggest attack surface of users. On the other hand, um, our tools for users, privilege access management, zero trust concepts, least privilege management on, on, uh, on endpoints, um, they are also there to to help users. Yeah? I can enable a user in that sense of do your work, communicate with me, tell me your problems, and I will help you to do your task, to, to do your task in a secure way without putting them in the shoe that they can do everything at every any time. So yes, we need to balance between engaging with the users and providing these guardrails. Yeah, I'm not roadblocks, but guardrails. Mm -hmm. But And I'm not sure if I fully understood. Do, do you think uh, zero trust is achievable then? At some point, you start trusting something. Um, it's, um, as I said, it's, it's a concept. Um, but if you are, if, if you say, um, I have a zero standing privilege as, as, a, as a step toward that concept of zero trust, I still have that notion of, okay, at that point of time, 
there is an administrator that gets the privilege for the job that is at hand for the time needed, um, there is a portion of trust. And I'm this 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 notion of zero trust is, from my perspective, kind of misleading. So I do support the concept behind it. I do support that idea of having at least the, the least amount of privileges in my organizations to to the best possible extent, least possible extent. Um, but on the other hand, if I am starting to have this sort of um, you can trust no one, um, that notion of, hey, um, whatever you do on your laptop, you're not trusted. I, I'm, that goes against my own philosophy of engaging with people and, and helping them to do better from a cybersecurity perspective, kind of. So mm -hmm. is it achievable? Um, not in the the purported sense of zero trust as a tool yeah remove everything and just whatever you need to have to establish trust in the first place at some point um the term trust gets overused here yeah you know just touching on one more aspect here so you mentioned a least privilege approach and how do you get the buy-in of the business for, for, you know, because obviously a business needs to operate and don't you get too many pushbacks from stakeholders in, in the organization when you try to implement like least privilege approach, for example? Um, good question. Um, because quite often when we talk about least privileges, we are sort of, touching the main point with is which is productivity so if everyone has to ask for this um to be done if they have to ask for privileges for doing that i am blocking them from being productive that's the notion that's what is in the minds of people and um the best way to overcome that is to show it to really say okay this is how we do it this is how it can be done. This is how you can have the right amount of privilege for an end user, for an administrator at the um, right or at the perfect time, whenever it's needed, just in time, the term behind it, um, in a kind of a self-service environment. And whenever that job is done, whenever that software installation, driver update, administrative task on the AD um, is, is done, you can remove that. And there are options out there where you can implement this. As I said, and that's why I'm using the, that term of guardrails um, without affecting productivity. Um, and there's a little bit of a, of a road ahead of us, I guess, that people are getting it, that you don't have to have local admin rights for every user. Um, despite the fact that it might um, implement or affect productivity, which is th that sort of mindset we have to overcome. So it's a kind of a challenge, um, but it's addressable. Okay. I also wanted to touch uh, on another point with you here um, and we can get back to, um, you know, to the previous topic if we have enough time, but you know, cyber resilience, we've been starting to hear this about, I don't know, five, seven years ago. You know, what's your stance on that? What's your, in your opinion, what is cyber resilience and how is it different than from cybersecurity? Um, my, my favorite topic, I have to admit, as, as, as I said in the introduction, that I am working with that concept, with the idea of resilience in our digital um, representation of our organization uh, quite for quite a while now, since 2015 or something like that. Um, so the, the best definition, if we're talking about the term I have seen so far is the one that was coined by the uh, University of Stockholm, 
which says that cyber resilience is an organization's ability to deliver the intended outcome despite adverse cyber events. Two things next to each other. Deliver the intended outcome. So as an organization, as a company, you're providing a value add. For that, you're using uh, digital systems, you're using IT, you're using digital services, um, you're using cloud services, whatever. Anything that is part of the digital representation of your organization. There are so these digital representations are more or less that picture in the mirror, in the IT mirror, in the digital mirror of your business processes. So if you're able to protect your digital representation, you do support the business processes, you do support the ability to deliver the intended outcome. And if there is a mismatch, if there is a, um, a gap in that, if there is too much on one side, too less on the other side, and kind of difficult to um, bring the right example right now, if that is the part where you are looking for a good parallel overlap of doing business and supporting business processes with IT. And in terms of one of the things that um, has always bothered me is how do you define resilience? What are the capabilities, the abilities of an organization to be resilient? And there's the three things that come to mind is, is the ability to uh, adapt to in our case, the cyber real realities that are out there. So uh, if I'm spinning up a Microsoft server, it's probably vulnerable. Uh, so you have to adapt, i.e. you mean you have to bring it up to speed. You have to bring it up to the current situation of um, vulnerabilities. You have to patch and stuff like that. You have to anticipate, which is you look into the future. You do your fat hunting, your fat intelligence, you're listening to others, you're listening to the experiences. You do anticipate changes in the um, tactics, technologies and procedures used by the adversaries. And absorb is quite simple. Absorb means if it happens to me, and there's this sort of other myth of saying sooner or later it will happen to you. Um, if it happens to me, how do I operate despite this adverse cyber events. Um, and I, I, I'm really a fan of this sort of concept of being resilient is the ability to bounce back, to come back despite that headwind, despite what happens to you, and probably be able to learn from what you have experienced and come back to an even better point. Mm -hmm. and, but on a broader view, what's what's the thing that you think uh, organizations tend to forget because we still see a lot of uh, I don't want to say stupid attacks but attacks that have been you know executed and successfully due to a simple oversight in some cases um, resilience adapt basic cyber hygiene shortcut if if I'm um there is a tendency in our industry from a vendor perspective, from a, from a uh, company's perspective, um, to I have this sort of bright, shiny object meme in, in, in my mind um, um, that we're focusing on the, the advanced persistent threat. We are focusing on these sophisticated cyber attack happening to an organization where in the end um, anything that is sophisticated needs the basics and if we do the basics better if we are good at cyber hygiene if we adapt to the cyber result uh, cyber realities cyber threat realities i.e um patching the prioritized vulnerabilities coming back to the other myth um make sure that our uh, systems, our servers, our users are in inside of these guardrails, 
not too many services open, ports are closed, just to give some 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 tech babble in here. Um, then you're doing the cyber, the basic cyber hygiene, which is, on the other hand, an element that is making the life of our adversaries much more difficult. I mean, they are running cybercrime as a business. They are crumbing, doing um, even do business analytics in terms of, okay, this is my current victim. We do business analytics uh, on it. How much is that victim able to pay? How much should I ask for? And in, in the concept of them running this as a business, um, if you are not an easy target, they will likely go to the next one. They will likely not try to infiltrate you on a broader scale. If there is a targeted attack, and then we are in this APT game again, um, even then having the basic rights will help you to detect, to defend, and um, to, to uh, recover from any sort of attack because you have already that stable base. Mm -hmm. Thank you for for that. Um, is there anything else you you think we we haven't covered uh, in, in uh, related to uh, cyber resilience? In your opinion, it will be like you mentioned. It will be more and more. You know, here in the EU, you have the Cyber Resilience Act. You have NIST two, DORA. Um, the term resilience is also um, sort of coming up more and often in um, proposed regulations in the US across the globe. Um, on this, and and if if this is a one ask I have or one 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 plea I can make um, to to the audience is get familiar with that look into that in, in ways of what does resilience mean to you? What is digital resilience, cyber resilience? What can this be for you? Don't look at it as, as distinctive things. Now, organizational resilience, individual resilience are always overlapping teams. If, if you have a user which is individually resilient enough to say, okay, I'm not clicking on that link. I'm not responding to that email, which I, doubt it is genuine but i suspicion i'm suspicious about it being a business email compromise a ceo fraud if we have that resilience if we enable that resilience we are in a good 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 spot and so i really ask the audience to to look into that in in from from that perspective if talking about this too um the one thing that this too, and, and the way cyber resilience is built in there is really looking at risk versus resilience. I mean, as I mentioned before, these are the two things are sort of head to head each other. Uh, there is a risk and there's a resilience to that risk. And how do you manage that? That's the part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Uh, a couple more questions before I let you go. We're almost at time here. Uh, so what's your um, advice to a vendor that wants to connect with a customer and but does it uh, but want to do it intelligently and not just you know call calling or uh, LinkedIn spamming or anything like that? Um, uh, yeah, the good old marketing machine. Um, well, first of all, yeah, as, as, as we mentioned in the introduction, um, Netflix is a vendor in itself. So um, it's sort of a um, a difficulty, put it that way, um, to talk about what a vendor should do. What what I am trying to do is, if I'm connecting to a to a customer, if I'm involved in these sort of uh, prospect uh, negotiations and discussions, is I try to understand. I try to understand the business. I try to understand the, the core processes, repeating a lot of things, what we have just said. Um, 
and I try to understand the the pain and gain they want to achieve with discussing a specific solution, a specific approach. Um, if as a, from a from a trying to talk neutrally um, as a vendor, if I'm able to really grab and understand the the customer's need and it's very easy to say that but it's hard to do that by really looking into okay you do it this way what's the issue with that way what you try to achieve with doing it differently what should be the output of that do it differently what do you do with that output so really go into it and and, and go beyond the initial way of how oh, we implement PAM and everything is fine um then you're doing it better then you really connect to a customer because you understand the customer um probably the 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 only advice i can give okay i think it's valuable advice thank you uh final question if money was never an issue would you do anything different with your life or what would you do with your life buy more books no <laughs> 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 um No good answer to that one. Um, it, it, there's a lot of things. Life is a is a is a very full term, and um, especially life in in cybersecurity can be very challenging um, because we quite often face the fact that. Um, our weekends are disturbed. Our uh, holidays are disturbed. Our um, um, family gatherings are disturbed due to whatever happens. I mean, there will be um, certainly hundreds of people out there whose weekends have been ruined by this. We mentioned it already, the latest Cisco finding, because they want to figure out what happens. What does it mean to my infrastructure? What does it mean to my network and to my, my organization? Um, so if, if, if unlimited funds would be available, um, I would probably spend a lot of it into, um, education and into helping, um, youngsters, sorry for that term, uh, having, helping folks that are new to the sector, new to the industry, to really, really, really get grips, get going, have a good start in that. And one thing there is, um, we, we always talk about um, staff shortage, um, lack of cyber skill sets and stuff like that. Coming back to what I've said, be, put yourself on the other side of, of the table. Why don't we take a, a person that has been working in, in the field, uh, in, in the production floor, in, 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 in sales, in marketing, in, as a nurse or whatever, and help these to be better in cybersecurity um, to make our own lives easier? I mean, yeah, if... if if they understand what is vital about cybersecurity, they can be our multipliers in their fields. Um, so I'm, I'm really fond of, of saying, um, you don't have to have the perfect starter, the perfect newbie having this kind of certification, that kind of experience, that kind of education. Um, People totally new to the business, if they bring valid experience in our uh, in our industries from being able to formulate and communicate a certain aspect of a business because of their own experience. And we are telling them, we are teaching them about this is how security works. This is how cyber works. The one thing is we have a, a resource that is good in two, two worlds, number one. And number two is us giving that training, giving that head start to a new start, uh, to a newbie in our field, refreshes our own knowledge. It brings us back to 
the basics. So, mm -hmm. funds probably not spend on tools. Okay, thank you for the, these uh, final notes, uh, Dirk, and uh, thank you again for taking the time today. I know it's uh, late in the evening for you by now. What is it? Probably nine nine p.m. Mm -hmm. No, yeah. eight. Eight. Totally eight. Got it. Well, uh, thank you again. And any final uh, thoughts that you wanted to share with uh, with our listeners before we I let you go? Have a good cup of coffee. <laughs> thank you so much, Derek. Ben, see you.